0: Hey everyone, it's B, creator of In An and local cryogenically frozen head. My friends Lauren and Adrian make a podcast called Emotional Support Gays. It's a talk show by queer people for queer people, and they cover a variety of topics such as coming out, Audre Lorde, and different levels of feminism all through different queer lenses. Uh, I think it's a great podcast. They're always really well-informed and well-researched in their discussion. Uh, I I just think it's really informative and fun to listen to. I was actually lucky enough to be a guest for Emotional Support Gaze in this week's episode, which is about queer baiting and queer representation in the media. It was so fun to record. We had a lot of really good discussion, and I also talk about some behind-the-scenes in Ostra stuff. I'm feed-dropping the episode here, so I highly recommend you guys go and subscribe to Emotional Support Gaze wherever you find podcasts. And without further ado, here is Emotional Support Gaze episode 4, Take the Bait.
1: Welcome back to the Queer Talk Show. I am your co-host, Lauren.
2: And I'm your other co-host, Adrian. And we're fucking tired, man.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Weld County just went red.
2: Yikes. (laughs) Big yikes.
1: And the governor, who I have a story about, just decided that purple's a thing.
2: Oh yeah, they added a fucking color. That was so funny. Well, and he added a fucking color
1: and then went and called my mom.
2: (laughs) Oh yeah, so I don't think we've mentioned this before, but Lauren's mom is a politician. (laughs) Uh,
1: My mom is a city councilor, and there is currently a recall election going on against her. And I guess it's been enough of a trying thing that Jared Polis decided to call my mom. And like, this story is so funny to me. And it rings a couple times, and my mom doesn't recognize the number, so, of course, she hangs up. God forbid I ever go to prison, because my mom will never pick up the phone.
2: Oh my gosh, she didn't pick up Jared Polis. She
1: didn't pick up Jared <laughs> Polis, and then she got the message that was essentially like, Hi, this is Governor Jared Polis, and I'm calling to thank you for your service, da-da-da-da-da. And then my mom called the gay governor back. <laughs> <laughs> and he picked up. And my mom, like, had a conversation with Jared Polis, whose Christmas card we've been getting for a few years, but, like, something, something. I don't generally agree with Jared Polis. But also, what strange clout that is. <laughs> yeah,
2: we shouldn't attribute Jared Polis on the podcast. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm After kidding. After I shit-talked him this much? That's a meme. I mean, you know, generally politicians should be able to take criticism. Who I'd really like to talk to as Blinks brand. and oh. liberal, um...
1: We are a little radically to the left.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: But yeah, Just so
2: that's
1: Just a little like... bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's like my, uh, vague- funny story for the week among other things. That and standing two hours in a COVID line. How are you doing?
2: I'm good. I'm very excited about today because not only are we talking about one of my favorite subjects, but we were talking to one of my favorite people. Yeah, today we're interviewing somebody. Woo Yeah, we're First a real, for the We're a real podcast now. <laughs> but yeah, we this this person has their own podcast and it's a a sci-fi mystery I almost want to call it horror, but that's just because I'm a baby and I get scared very easily. But it's it's a spooky, a spooky little thing. And yeah.
1: Emotional Support Gaze is hosted by Adrian and Lauren, neither of whom are experts. That said, we invite you to join us for our queer talk show. Trigger warning should be taken with all episodes as conversations are freeform and frequently touch on topics that may make listeners and Trump supporters uncomfortable. Thank you for listening. B, do you want
2: to introduce yourself? Hi,
0: thanks for having me on. I'm so excited. I'm happy to be here. I don't, I already said that. Yeah, so I'm B, my pronouns are she or they. And yeah, I, I run in Astra, a sci-fi mystery. Also, I think it's totally fine if you call it a horror. Like, I think I've had a lot of people say like, I think it's a horror. And a lot of people say like, I don't think it's a horror, which honestly that kind just the fact that that kind of like debate exists about my show is just like really fucking cool. That's like my, I like couldn't have Imagined something cooler than that happening. Yeah, so, that's awesome. Yeah.
1: Well, it fits into that Night Veil vale kind of liminal space type of podcast where it's aggressively queer and kind of horror, but just doesn't quite. Cross either mark in terms of queer media or horror media.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think that like I think it's no secret that uh, Night Vale was a huge inspiration for this show. Um, I have like I think most people could like listen to it. I don't necessarily think it's derivative, but I think like you could listen to it and like guess what three or four like <laughs> the big inspirations were, and you'd probably be right. Yeah, I
1: could see that.
0: Yeah, I, I mean like I made it because I love listening to podcasts. I wanted to take on a big writing project for myself and so I was just like trying to eke out inspiration from every everything that I liked and I wanted to make something that I liked so
2: Mm -hmm. yeah well it's a great podcast it's it's fucking stellar yeah if you you. haven't listened to it people who are listening to this (laughs) who currently are mostly like some of our close friends please go listen to Anastra it is so fun and dynamic Mm -hmm. and it's got Representation, which is what we're gonna be talking about today.
1: So, uh, you want to bring up those notes for us, Adrian? You I, seem excited. I'm
2: really excited because today we're talking about queer baiting, which we kind of mentioned in our last episode because we started talking about J.K. Rowling, and that's always a bad time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just saw B cringe on the Zoom call.
2: Yeah, like I, Vibrating. I mentioned how J.K. Rowling queer baits quite often. Or at least has done, there have been two events of queerbaiting with Come to Mind for Me, which is Dumbledore and The Cursed Child, which technically she didn't write it, but like, still, you know, (laughs) it's under your name. But yeah, so let's, let's talk about queerbaiting. If you don't know what queerbaiting is, it's basically a system by which, like, creators, authors, even, like, musical producers depict a very obviously queer relationship without acknowledging it, or they also claim LGBT representation in their work without providing it in any concrete way.
1: So this is like the Dumbledore thing, yeah?
2: Yeah, right. so Dumbledore falls into the ladder. The first one can be I mean this is definitely something that's come up recently, but oh, I don't watch Supernatural. Yeah. <laughs> but uh Dean D- D- and castiel or Destiel as the ship name goes falls under sort of type one of queer baiting which, you know, it's a very coded queer relationship.
1: Wait, Destiel is canon?
2: Destiel got canon during the election. It was really seen funny. This? I- Fuck. (laughs) Okay, but here's but here's the thing. No, get back here. Sit down. (laughs) (laughs) No. Here's the thing, I, I haven't seen the so-called, like, canonizing scene of it, but I heard that it's not even, like, that explicit, and he, that's the thing about queer baiting is that, you know, even if they claim a gay relationship, they don't make it explicit, because they can't commit to it, they can't commit to the bit. I, I haven't watched Supernatural in
0: many years, yeah. because when I was, like, in high school, I was like, this sucks, actually, mm-hmm. uh, if you like Supernatural, <laughs> it's fine, I'm not Fair. judging you, it's fine, you like what you like. <laughs> I don't like it either. Uh, but I don't on. like That's just my personal opinion, but and and in large part because of the queer baiting I just like got sick of it and I Uh left like but I as soon as I found out I like looked up the scene and granted I did watch it, you know out of context I didn't see the whole episode surrounding it But I saw like the scene leading up to it and then the scene itself and you're totally right that like it's not explicit He he does say I love you Dean Dean doesn't say anything There's a lot of memes on the internet about how Jensen just looks like the most homophobic person. Just like like a lot of gay men on the internet are like, wow, this looks like when I was in middle school and I told my first boy that I liked him, and he said that's weird oh. and stopped talking to me. Oh my so god, so it's like fucked up. But yeah, he says I love you, but like it's still enough plausible deniability where like you know people on the internet like dudes and they're just gonna be like, well like love doesn't have to be romantic. Oh it, it, yeah, it's, fuck it's that. like it's like explicit. I'm putting air quotes, but like there's <laughs> (laughs) still enough it's like very intentional that they left it at least a little bit ambiguous Mm -hmm. which is just like even if it wasn't ambiguous it would still be really bad because as soon as he admits his gay feelings for dean he immediately goes to mega super ultra hell it's because he admitted that he has gay feelings for dean that he goes to super mega ultra hell
2: oh my god and literally that's (laughs) that literally falls under my next point which is how creators use queer coding and queer baiting to capitalize on a marginalized audience without running any of the risk that comes with like true representation and also like bury the gays falls under that. And these sort of like repercussions that come with being gay is how people got around like the Haze Code and stuff is that if it was okay to like depict, you know, kind of queer coded characters, as long as there was a punishment for them in the end and you killed off your queer coded characters or you made them villains because then you weren't like basically promoting a-, a queer lifestyle. And if you killed them, and this is all like in the 50s, and 60s and even later on when like the Disney Golden Age and stuff like that and the Disney Renaissance. Cause like think of Scar and like Hades and stuff like that. Um like Ursula was based on Divine and they made them villains so that they weren't like they wouldn't get in trouble for basically promoting a queer lifestyle and those tropes still continue on today. Mm -hmm. Um and killing them was another way to sort of get around the Hays Code and those sort of like societal restrictions of depicting queer people in media. Is if you made them evil then you were basically wouldn't get like in that day canceled for being gay. You know what I mean?
1: I I know it's not funny, but I want to go to super mega ultra hell. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Me too. It sounds well, awesome. I got good
0: news for you. We're on our way. Somebody called yes! Dante and Virgil. Um
1: No, nah, like Super Mega Ultra Hell. We got Dante, Virgil. Uh Maybe Mozart? Was Mozart gay? I can't remember if Mozart was gay. We have all the good villains. I love Hades.
2: Yeah, so if you don't know what the Hays Code is, anyone who's listening, it was basically when film and media like started you know, becoming the the penultimate form of like entertainment and stuff. This sort of rule book was applied in America to like what you could and could not depict in your films. Oh. Um, and they were censoring artists. And it was like a lot of stupid things. Like it was anything from like showing a toilet on screen to having an interracial couple.
1: Wait, is this why the beds were never put together in like old movies?
2: Yes. You couldn't you couldn't show even a straight even a straight white couple like sleeping in the same bed together because it was seen as like too vulgar.
1: I just, I remember watching like Faulty Towers, that old John Cleese show, which fuck John Cleese, but they never had the beds pushed together. And you know, it's this ostensibly happily married couple. So it always kind of threw me.
2: Yeah, it was because it wasn't allowed. Garbage. Like it was, <laughs> it was against the Hays Code. So like gay people were sort of a part of that. You, you couldn't portray gay people in a positive light and you almost couldn't portray gay people at all because that wasn't societally accepted. So the way directors kind of got around this, because you know, it's not like gay people just stopped existing, you know, in the arts, is that they, would write characters that were queer coded and basically coded as gay which meant that they they had certain mannerisms and they had sort of these very seemingly very intense relationships with each other but they would never acknowledge it by being gay because that that wasn't okay at the time you know but that was for queer audiences to sort of look at and be like oh I can see myself in this this is the director winking at us you know being like yeah they're friends wink you know Uh,
1: so what you're saying is Sam and Frodo should have fucked.
2: Yeah, I don't remember the name of the musical, but in my film class we watched like a scene where this this very butch woman basically learns how to be feminine and she lives in a cabin with this other lady and they have this whole like musical number of like re- refurbishing the cabin and making it look all pretty and also this like butch lady. She was just very masculine and like tomboyish, like also becomes super feminine, but they have like a really close relationship and like at the end of the movie, the main character, she kind of stays masculine. She she kind of becomes, like, Foch essentially, and...
1: I want to live in the cabin in the woods with my
2: not-a-girlfriend. Exactly, and my director was like, so this is queer-coding, and I was like, oh shit, this is queer-coding. I and... think,
0: like, Kirk and Spock is also, like, a, a really old example, like, from Star Trek, the original series. I like, you know a lot of people, like, have noticed that they're very close, and at times they, like, say shit to each other, where it's like, okay.
2: Just friends. Oh uh, yeah, I was gonna say it Professor totally X is. and Magneto. Yeah. Oh Reed is very God. queer to me. I wanna say it was like the 40s or the 50s. So the Hayes Code died officially in 1968.
1: I love the idea of the Hayes Code dying mm-hmm. like a celebrity. Like, oh, did you hear about the Hayes Code? It died. It died. Sean Connery and The Hays Code both died.
2: Get well soon. Get well soon.
1: Um. Hope you don't catch COVID.
2: So like, J.K. Rowling did this with Dumbledore, where she, like, after after writing the book, she was like, oh, by the way, Dumbledore is gay, but I'm not gonna show that anyway. I'm just gonna say it so I can capitalize on the LGBT community. Because after The Hays Code died, it was the 70s, and then it was the 80s. (laughs) And you know we started having all these civil rights movement and like women's liberation and you know the AIDS protests and stuff like that and um you know media and entertainment viewed finally viewed queer people as people and as marketable consumers so they basically started weaponizing queer coding Mm -hmm. against us and in order to keep us as you know viewers and a demographic on their content they would queer code characters but they also didn't want to lose all their homophobic viewers so they would never make it actually gay which is you know fake allyship essentially
1: oh we love rainbow capitalism
2: rainbow capitalism daddy reagan one of like the biggest things i can think of right now is fucking Voltron. I don't know if anybody here has seen Voltron but it's it's a very old TV show but they recently recreated it like Netflix did a redux of it and it was really good. Like I loved the first couple seasons but also a lot of characters were heavily queer coded. There are also characters that were like confirmed trans and we will get to talking about trans people in media but I want to focus more on queer relationships just because there's a whole goddamn documentary out on Netflix called Disclosure that's about trans people in media and if you haven't seen it you should watch it. It made so me cry. Good. And I feel like anything that I could say on trans people in media has already been said there, at least regarding to America. I do want to talk about anime and video games at one point, but yeah, basically Voltron has a lot of queer coded characters and then they buried a gay because they, I remember, I think it was promotion for season seven.
1: Wait, they killed a gay to promote a season?
2: No, 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 listen, let me let me finish. <laughs> Pretty much, but basically they started promoting the new season and then they were like, hey, so we're going to introduce uh, Shiro's boyfriend, Adam. And we were like, like Shiro's gay because Shiro is essentially one of the main characters and like the leader of the Voltron group you know and people start freaking out because like queer person of color in this kids show essentially because it's it's DreamWorks and people start freaking out and like all these posters and like official art from you know the creators start coming out of Adam and his boyfriend and all the stuff appear like oh my god we Shiro's gay we're gonna see a lot of Shiro's backstory with this guy and then the season comes out and we see some backstory and we see that their relationship was Healthy, and then they show that adam gets killed in battle and that was it that was literally it and then i heard later that like shiro got married to another guy at the end of the show but like that was it that's queer baiting because you start getting queer people hyped up for this character right and then you punish us essentially and show us that no there is no happy ending for space gays and like kill off this person's partner when they haven't seen each other in who knows how long because like they've been in space this whole time i remember they also did that there was a show called the 100 did something very similar in that show as well where they had these two women and people were shipping them like the whole show and then this episode comes out they get together and they're shown to have slept together the next morning lexa gets shot in the stomach and dies
1: so we're all queer content creators here at what point do we all have to die and go to super mega ultra hell to redeem this podcast.
2: Oh boy! Oh my God! Think of the numbers! I know, oh my right? God, yeah. Oh my God! I would love to fake my own death, honestly. Um...
1: <laughs> Let's just—we'll all fake our own deaths. It, yeah, we'll... run
0: away to a cottage <gasps> in the woods with our not girlfriends.
1: Hey, I'm here for that.
2: My partner's gonna go feral if I bring him anywhere near the woods. Are you kidding me? <laughs> we make jokes about the fact that he just wants to go feral and like live amongst bears and shit. Adrian, I, I think that. If... It's, like, such a good, this is such a good example of the
0: fact that, like, this stuff still continues today. And, like, like you said, the Hayes Code ended in 1968, which was over 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's just a perfect example of how, just because... Uh, discriminatory practices can like legally be outlawed, that doesn't mean they go away because that was 50 years ago and this stuff still continues. Like Mm -hmm. obviously we've made progress since then, but like not enough. Not enough,
2: not enough progress. I honestly, the only, I can't think of too many like shows that like haven't like either buried the gays or like queer baited. Good A good example of this. And I mean, good in like a positive sense is Deadpool. I ship Spidey pool because that's just me. Deadpool has been pan. I don't know when they announced that he was pansexual, but it was kind of a while ago, I feel like.
1: Yeah, it's been a minute.
2: You know, like he's, I think he's had a boyfriend and, and in the movie, I mean, he has a girlfriend in the movies and stuff like that, but there's, there's a scene where he does get pegged by her. I was like, you know what? That's not perfect, but I'll take it for now. You know, like I get you.
0: Yeah, I, I wish they had acknowledged it at all in the movie. Like, mm-hmm. the only time they acknowledged the fact that he wasn't straight was, like, for jokes.
2: Yeah. Mm. Like, they
0: he, like, grabbed Colossus's ass at one point oh yeah second one and like that was kind of the closest we got Uh it also kind of bothers me that like the reason they that he was pansexual but the way they described it was like he'll fuck anything with a pulse it's kind of bothers me that like even in good examples like why can't we just have i don't know like can't you consult actual like pansexual people and be like (laughs) exactly because i feel like if anyone was on that creative team who like made that decision if they heard that they'd be like hey maybe don't say that actually like that's a very bad stereotype Mm-hmm.
2: yeah like depicting pansexual as like hypersexual and right. sexually deviant almost is mm-hmm. isn't the best representation another thing i don't like is people like showing representation but like there's still a stereotype that i'm not okay with in there is non-binary people in some like new shows and stuff are only ever like robots and aliens right you know and it's like why can't we just like why does that need to be the explanation that they're that they don't have like that they don't yeah. identify within the binary is that they're not human that, you know that shit drives me
0: crazy me too
2: i guess i should also mention that in voltron there is non-binary character but they still use she her pronouns it's cool i didn't know that the voice actor is also non-binary i believe but oh. this voice actor also like fought a lot of like viewers of the show when they killed off adam well
1: that's like double trouble and Shira, ra who's uh voiced by jacob Tobia. i uh literally started watching that show because jacob Tobia voiced a character on it um jacob Tobia wrote this book called Sissy a coming of gender story one of the best memoirs I've ever read and not long after the book came out they uh, got cast on She-Ra to play a non-binary character which I know very little about this character I'm not far enough in the show but everyone I've talked to loves this character
2: another thing so now let's go into like video games and like anime Mm -hmm. because queer issues are different in Japan and I'm not going to talk about like I understand them because I don't I am a consumer of a lot of anime and like video games that like come from like Japanese companies and stuff like that and I, I know a little bit about how they represent queer people so there was this Street Fighter character named I think it's poison very clearly trans <laughs> okay the way trans people are often depicted in at least like MTF trans people are depicted as like cross-dressers and that's kind of where uh, TRAP comes from as well is is it, it comes from like anime consumption type stuff Yep. which is interesting because like it's queer issues are like so different in Japan it's anyone who's listening I really implore you to like look it up because it's really interesting but one one queer character in Japanese media that I don't think a lot of people talk about enough is Sheik from Legend of Zelda Sheik was part part of my coming out journey because I looked at Sheik and I was like, that's me. You know, like, I, I identify in this this in-between area, you know? Because if you don't know, in The Legend of Zelda, there's this princess named Zelda, and in The Ocarina of Time, Zelda, for a majority of the game, is actually helping out the hero, Link, disguised as a man named Sheik, who's a ninja and can like fight and has a harp that he plays. Mm and you know later it's revealed that that was just zelda in hiding from uh, ganondorf who's the big bad you know mm-hmm. and i always saw that i was like oh shit zelda's trans you know mm-hmm. and they've kind of kept Sheik around a little bit since since that game like they haven't ever put him again in another zelda game other than hyrule warriors but like he's in he's in smash like a bunch and one thing that always annoys me is that if i read like any gaming article and i'm like how do i do this one move for like Sheik? Smash. Sheik is always described as using she her pronouns. And that just bugs me so much. And if you're a gaming journalist listening to this, stop it. Um, please.
1: Paging Mr. McElroy, Mr. Justin McElroy.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like Sheik is so very obviously a man, you know? Like there's there's no denying that (sighs) Sailor Moon was really good at it. I think Sailor Moon also does not get talked about enough of how in like how ahead of its time it was in queer representation because mm-hmm. it didn't start off great because the first little bit of queer rep we got was between villains but then we got a another queer villain who was trans and this character's name is fisheye and fisheye is another character that i identify heavily with but fisheye is a mab person who who kind of presents as female for most of the show and like has a boyfriend and like starts modeling and stuff. And I remember watching this like, but they're still a villain, you know? And then they get redeemed and they end up helping Sailor Moon and kind of become, they become a hero at the end, but I think that then they also die. So it's a double-edged sword, unfortunately. But then we have Sailor Neptune and Sailor Uranus. They were completely advertised as a lesbian couple, like a very loving lesbian couple who were heroes in Sailor Moon and like nobody talked about how cool that was because this came out in like the 90s and the early 2000s you know and when it got super popular and America decided to start airing it and dubbing Sailor Moon of course they erased all of that um garbage they had Zoe Sight who was a very effeminate man voiced by a woman Um, I think they did the same to Fisheye and probably cut out the scene where, cause there's a scene where like Fisheye takes off their shirt and like no boobs, you know, and it's like this huge reveal. They also redid a lot of the dialogue and made it so that Sailor Neptune and Sailor Uranus weren't lovers, they were cousins, you know? And I was like, "Ah, that's so disappointing. And I think they fixed it in Sailor Moon Crystal, but like Sailor Moon Crystal's trash, so don't come for me.
0: Man. And talking about english dubs and anime like straight washing shit mm-hmm. uh the new neon genesis evangelion dub i like, heard about Netflix. that
2: yeah and
0: there's like a lot of debate because it's like a translation thing There was like retranslated mm-hmm. but and so i'm not gonna act like i don't speak japanese i'm not japanese i'm not gonna pretend like i do or i am uh-huh. but basically like that is the interpretation room yeah uh, saying to shinji who's the main character he explicitly tells him i love you shinji acts so like nervous around him as if it's like a crush that he has Mm -hmm. and then I think they changed it to I like you or something like that in the new one and there's like a lot of debate around like the exact translation isn't one-to-one I love you from Japanese so the fact stands that that's how people interpreted it for 25 years before this re uh, dubbing and this re subbing I guess and I think it was a very intentional choice like there's no way they didn't know about that and so I think it was still a very intentional choice to be like hey we're making this not, like, and amb- not even ambiguously queer. Like, we're making this straight. Mm-hmm. But yeah,
2: so we have stuff like that. And then there's, um, then we have things like Oran High School Host Club. <laughs> oh, I love Oran High
1: School Host Club.
2: Um, which I think was very validating to me as, as a baby gay, you know, because it's still, like, it's still kind of straight. And there's some problematic stuff that goes on in there. For sure. But the main character kind of is, is incredibly queer coded, you know. Her,
1: well, and not to mention her parent.
2: Yeah, and and her parent, you know. And that's not the first time that I've like seen like a main character who's, whose parent is like super queer coded as well. There's also this show called Princess Jellyfish, which is kind of like the anime version of Queer Eye in my head. Wait. <laughs> Princess Jellyfish is really cute and wholesome. It's basically about this like young nerdy girl who lives with a bunch of other women who are like nerdy about very like specific things and her like thing that she's really nerdy about is jellyfish. Anime queer. Yeah. So she meets a drag queen it's all who over like when you meet a yeah. Drag queen. Who like gives her a makeover and like shows her how to be more confident in herself and it's very wholesome. But then. Oh, but then. Oh, no. Then Yuri on Ice came out and I lost my goddamn mind. So there was a trope for a while in in, uh, specifically sports anime, that there was a lot of queer baiting and, like, queer coding. I don't necessarily want to, like, accuse, like, Japanese writers and directors of queer baiting because I'm not really sure, like, what the intent is over there. It's a different culture. Different culture. But there's a lot of queer coding, for sure. And it, it, it kind of became a joke to me, you know, like, or, like, kind of a trope where I was like, ah, yes, another, you know, homoerotic sports anime is out. And this Damn. one... <laughs>
1: How many, how many homoerotic sports animes are there? Oh
2: god, I don't think I can count them, but like Free, Fair Prince enough. of Haikyuu, <laughs> Free, Prince of Tennis, the basketball one, Um, but then another one came out about ice skating, and I was like, oh, this looks cool. I personally love ice skating. I used to be an ice skater, and fun fact about me. I didn't me, know that about you. Cool. Yeah, I used, I used to do ice skating. I like did shows and stuff, and I competed a little bit. We're just coming out with a bunch of fun Boy, facts about Adrian star. today. <laughs> Honestly. So I was like really interested in ice skating, and I love watching it during the Winter Olympics. So I was like, this is fucking awesome. And I was like, oh, this is about to be like super queer coded. It was for a long time and I was still enjoying it, but I was like, god, these two main characters are so gay. Like, I almost can't handle it. And then an episode came out where they very much did kiss Aww. and it was like canon and it was this whole thing and like later they exchanged rings, you know. I think you mentioned earlier like having the separate beds during the Haze Code era between like straight white couples and I feel like in the show they almost reference that because there's a scene where they're traveling around for competitions, right? And there's this shot of this hotel room where very clearly two beds were pushed together. There was only one bed. Adrian, have you watched Hunter Hunter? Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, well, you know, in the last arc of that with Killua's, you know, one of the main characters who's like a lot of people's favorite characters like little sister, mm-hmm. is pretty much confirmed to be trans. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, and so you said you, you've watched the whole thing?
2: Um, I've seen, I haven't seen it towards the end
0: but I, like, watched a little
2: bit of it in middle school. I guess spoilers
0: for some of it. And, and, like, I remember in the beginning of the show, like, in in the first arc, there's one, like, mini plot point that is about cross-dressing that is definitely problematic, so I'm not saying, like, this show gives off the hook. (laughs) But in the last arc of the season, which is, like, or the show, which is, like, I guess maybe 13 episodes, something like that, the Killua's, one of the main characters' younger sisters is introduced, and she's, like, this really powerful... It's crazy, but... um. (laughs) <laughs> she she is, they never explicitly say you are trans, but it's kind of like going back to like the Destiel scene where he explicitly says, I love you, but there's still enough plausible deniability that like you could still debate it, like whether it's gay or not. This one I feel like is kind of the flip side of that where it's like they don't explicitly say that she's trans, but I feel like there's no plausible deniability that she's not because she is his sister, like very like feminine, very like, there's no question about it. He refers to her as his little sister, and the rest of his family, who is shown as being very unsupportive of him and her in different ways, they only refer to her as, like, brother and, like, little brother and stuff like that.
2: I, yeah, it makes me sad that I, I wish I saw more of that in anime, you know? Mm-hmm. I remember recently I, I started watching uh, Micro Academia and they had mm-hmm. a really problematic portrayal of trans women in it that made me really upset it was like they portrayed trans women the way like turfs view trans women you know which is like pre pre-transition women who are wearing like kind of I think the style is like lolita clothes you know like basically like a little girl's clothing which Yikes. like does not read as no. friendly or like allyship and they're also both villains you know Absolutely. um and one of them gets killed, you know? And that's not even to say, like, how queer-coded that show is already. Mm -hmm. Because the main character, Deku, is very Mm trans-coded to me. He's like, I this feeling of being born in the wrong body because he doesn't have a quirk, you know? And, like, he's very effeminate and his idol is, like, a very masculine hero man, you know? And also, like, All Might to me is also very queer-coded because of how during the AIDS crisis some gay men would, like, bulk up. Well,
1: it was assumed that you couldn't bulk up if you had AIDS, so it became a way to denote that you didn't have it. It was itself a form of queer coding.
2: Because I, I wasn't sure the right terminology. You know, and then there's these moments where, like, All Might breaks and, you know, looks much frailer and he starts coughing up blood. Something about that resonated within me to, like, the history of queer culture and stuff like that, specifically during the AIDS era.
1: So, B, I want to ask you this. Uh, as a queer writer, you know, in Austria is really littered with queer people. Yeah,
0: no, I mean, it's intentional for sure. Mm-hmm. It was something that I tended from the Offset. I was like I am going to make the main character gay I want to make him like unambiguously gay Mm -hmm. and uh, he has a boyfriend who is unambiguously trans in the main show like I don't think I don't think it's ever explicitly I am gay or he is trans but only because that's not how people like Talk, but like I, I make it really obvious that like you can't dispute it. Right. I say like there's one detail that Chance uh, the main character Joaquin's boyfriend is uh, on testosterone and it's like are you you can't you know <laughs> I, I'm trying to make storytelling where you're not like just s- explicitly saying everything but if you want representation like making it completely unambiguous and also like I'm sure there are times as I'm going to continue writing where there will be good opportunities where it will be natural to say I am gay I am trans and I like plan to do that without a lot of spoilers... I wrote myself into a corner a little bit with a lot of different storytelling ideas, including this representation thing, because a lot of season one, the format is Joaquin talking to himself in like a voice recorder for therapy. Um, And so it's like a lot of monologue heavy stuff. So it's like really hard to have a lot of explicit interaction with queer representation when it's just like one person speaking monologuing. Um, But I will say without any spoilers, season two is going to feature much, much more heavily uh, explicit queer characters who like talk and interact with each other and it's gonna become much more like overt and I feel like it's already pretty overt but like it's gonna be it's gonna be there every single episode like the main characters are queer and I'm keeping them that way you know yeah
2: yeah I'm curious about your, your your writing process. Other than like small verbal sort of cues on like this character is queer, you know? What yeah. other ways did you find that you sort of, I guess, coded Joaquin? I mean, I think that the whole story for
0: him is that like he doesn't fit in and he is used to not fitting in. And so he's grown very like He's like such an edgy <laughs> like teen <laughs> yeah. uh, so in always. a lot of ways. And he so he's like used to not fitting in and like having trust issues because he doesn't have a great family relationship, especially when it comes to his gayness. And I think that that is like pretty heavily implied in the show. And I think that it's also really important. This is not, this is kind of getting away from the question. It was important to Joaquin's character to include that. I think that I have other queer characters who are coming who like have a lot of support from their family. And so I like just want to clarify that too, that like I I obviously, Just because you're queer doesn't mean you have to have a bad relationship with your family Mm because that's a stereotype. But I think that Joaquin, he's like used to not fitting in. He has a lot of problems like trusting people. And I think he's like very empathetic. And This is all like a bit reductive, but like, you know, I think that he cares a lot especially about his roommate. And Adrian, I know you
2: have- <laughs> I did. <laughs> you have some shipping theories about Joaquin and his roommate. Listen, it did, cause I don't know, I guess, yeah, that just quoted really queer to me because like mm-hmm. I knew that Joaquin had a boyfriend, but at the mm-hmm. same time, you know, this sudden interest, you know, and the, the extreme amount of caring that Joaquin showed for Aiden, to me read very queer because, you know, they, mm-hmm. I mean, as far as my understanding goes, they didn't really know each other that well, you know? No, not and at all. They knew each other for like a day. A day. And all of a sudden, Joaquin, you know, I guess this also just reads into him being like a very compassionate person who like always wants to help, you know? But at the same time, I read it as very like, I'm coming to save you, you know? Like very, mm-hmm. very knight and, you know, damsel in distress type situation.
1: It's very damsel in
2: distress. Yeah. It's <laughs> cute. So, so it read very queer to me. Well, I love that yeah. interpretation. I really do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've been making jokes that I'm going to write fanfiction about the two of them, but honestly (laughs) I... Honestly, I'll be your first reader. (laughs) But I need to get back on archive.
1: (laughs) I'm curious about Joaquin, because one of the things that stuck out to me, knowing you, be Joaquin is a very different person from you, but you totally come through in that character. What's it like playing a character who does not share your identities?
0: Um, it, I mean it's a crazy process like I have been working on this show for just about a year and a half I just wrapped up season one so if you want to binge it you can listen to all nine episodes it's worth it whenever you I, when I started this process it was a year and a half ago I was like not ready to come out like I was still I had come out to a few people as non-binary mm. but I very much still largely living as a boy and um, I'm a musical theater major and so as an actor and a singer I've always done boy roles and I wasn't expecting that to change anytime soon so when I was writing this I was like okay I'm like making this story I'm just gonna play the main character because it'll be easier logistically because he's gonna be talking most of the time and it's really hard to schedule stuff with people to record so just like logistically I was like I'm gonna be Joaquin fast forward a lot and I just like got to the point where I was like still in the process of making the show but I was just like I can't do this anymore like I was like I don't want to be a anymore. I can't do it. So I like came out as like more explicitly non-binary and like appearing more feminine in my appearance and I changed my name and then I started going on HRT. I've been on HRT for like over seven months now congratulations um thank you and i i even like changed my pronouns again like a couple weeks ago being more explicitly like i changed it from they them to she and they because i was like hey like i'm not like just totally ambiguous nothing there like i am ambiguous but Mm -hmm. also like i'm kind of a girl and so it got to the point where i was like i had already recorded half the season and i was not a boy (laughs) and i like don't and i was like i i'm going through my life trying to have people not see me as a boy. And so I was like, I really was kind of at a crossroads where I was like, do I just have to re-record and redo half of this season and just like not do this character anymore or do I just go through with it? And I ultimately decided it was really hard and it still is sometimes but I ultimately decided that this character is really important to me and I didn't want to give him up. So I continued playing Joaquin and it, it has been hard releasing like, you know, like every week being like, go listen to the show and a new episode would come out, like knowing that I was telling people to listen to something where I was presenting as a boy. Uh, that was really hard and it still is, but I think that it's worth it. And I'm kind of at the point in my acting career, I guess, I'm basically saying like, I'm not going to play boy roles anymore. Like I'm not doing it. I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not doing it.
1: Congratulations. Um.
0: Thank you. And so Joaquin is kind of like the last one of those that I'm ever going to do. And it feels kind of special that like I'm ending this era of my life on something that's like really special and important to me. Yeah. Um so that that has helped me a little bit, but it, it, in short it's nuts. <laughs> but I <laughs> I'm I'm glad I'm doing it. I'm glad I am.
2: Yeah. That's awesome. That's really well um, and it's like
1: <laughs> well, and I find it really interesting because if there's one character in the show that I really identify with it's Joaquin. So much of his experience just as an individual feels familiar to me even though we don't share any identities and I feel like that's a lot of you.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I and like I said, it was really important to me that Joaquin was unambiguously a gay interracial boy. And so like people have asked me like, "Well, have you considered maybe like Joaquin realizes he's non-binary or something?" And I'm like, "I could, I, I don't really see that, like, uh, I, I don't really see a proper justification for me, at least how I understand the character, of realizing that. And it's also really important to me that, like, showing in media, like, I, I think gay men are often, like, I don't know, I, I just want to show that you can still be uh, compassionate and empathetic and, and you can still be, like, a gay man. Yeah. And there doesn't necessarily have to be ambiguity about that. Which isn't to say that non-binary rap isn't important. It it is, obviously. But I like, it was from from the get-go, I was like, it's really important to me that he's an interracial gay teenage boy. Um, And I didn't want that to change just because I changed so much.
2: Are you comfortable talking about like your villain, Dr. Rhoda Crowder?
0: Yeah, as long as we don't get too much into story detail. What do you have to say? Uh, What are you asking? Well,
2: I remember... When you and I talked a while ago, you had mentioned that she has a wife.
0: Yeah, she has an ex-wife. Yeah. Um, And uh, if you, there's some like secret bonus content that I have like released with every episode. If you go to this like website, there's just like really quick little like dialogues that give some like context and backstory that can like, they're not necessary to read, but like they can help you like kind of solve some of the mysteries before the finale. Um, And not that all the mysteries have been solved by the season (laughs) one finale, but, (laughs) but yeah, so I like have left a lot of clues on like, hey, go find this stuff. Um, A lot of them feature dialogues with her and her wife at the time. And you know, without too many spoilers like since then they have gotten a divorce. But yeah, she had a wife and a daughter. And and I was worried about doing this because I didn't want to have like the gay villain and like she wasn't even able to like stay in a queer relationship or anything. But I I have a lot of queer characters in it, so I feel like if I want the villain to also be queer, like it's not I don't think it's I mean maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like it's an okay thing because I already have so much other queer rep in here and I just thought like It served her character a little bit, adds some complexity. But what do you guys think?
1: Honestly, I'm all here for it. And I, I think it's that same reasoning of, in this situation, having the queer villain is not the problem. You know, you have so much queer rep in the show. You know, I can't go to your podcast and say, oh, the gay person and implicitly mean dr crowder you know do i mean joaquin do i mean dr crowder do i mean any number of other queer coded characters or actively queer characters it it doesn't feel like the only thing ascribed to queerness is villainy in this situation Mm
2: -hmm. yeah and i also think that context and perspective matters because this this is a of media written by a queer person you know Mm -hmm. so i think in in that sense then it's it's validated because it's not like you're (laughs) a straight cis white person writing an evil gay person because then that would be problematic you know because that's just that's villainizing because of the perspective you know Mm -hmm. um totally
1: well what makes her the villain isn't her queerness
2: that too like it's not like fucking um him from the powerpuff girls you know like <laughs> yeah where I it's that it's like
1: flashback
2: yeah where it's like everything about his queerness is what made him evil you know mm-hmm. or i think mm-hmm. i don't know a part of me thinks that also that could be applied to hades from hercules uh the disney movie just totally. because if his yes. entire character was pure sass and yeah it was being like gay best friends yeah it was evil yeah flamboyant people which is a way i think they- gays code each other which mm-hmm. is like also we do that to each other Lauren and I were talking about this the other day where queer coding is prevalent in in real life and between queer people you know well um,
1: because it's a it's a code we use to talk to one another
2: without actually talking mm-hmm. to one another you mm-hmm. know and it started back when you know you couldn't say I'm gay loud and proudly you know or else you or bad things would happen to you you know so we had the hinky code we had the uh which ear was it the right ear the right ear
1: piercing <laughs> the one my dad doesn't have pierced
2: nice but yeah like i think in a way we sort of subconsciously like code ourselves so that other queers like sort of identify us well, as it's, well it's cuffing your jeans it's cuffing your jeans it's <laughs> dyeing your hair blue and getting a septum piercing it's... oh
1: I don't know anyone like that.
2: (laughs) Hi, I have blue hair and a septum piercing. Um, I also think that tattoos are super queer in my certain
0: tattoos. I I think there's so much stuff like this where you're like, this reads as gay, this reads as gay. Not you specifically, but all of us. Yeah, and like. (laughs) There's a lot of straight people who are like, you're just reading so much into things, like, what what are you doing, blah, blah, blah. But, like, the thing is, is that's just not true because of the Hayes Code and because of, in real life, not wanting to be, you know, hate crimed. We have had to uh, have, like, little subtle cues and codes to, like, be like, hey, we're on the same level, like, we are both queer,
2: Mm It's a secret language that you don't understand. Yeah. It really is. They, t- they totally can be, or like undercuts, you know, like people with long hair, like shaving the back of their head. I think certain like types of makeup styles as well. I had the flat cap. That's so funny. Yeah. I, oh know. I can't see flat caps without you. thinking about um, that one show, Big Fish. Yeah. I-, I think there's
0: just like a lot of, there's just so much in this like secret language is such a good way to put it. Mm-hmm queer baiting is sometimes just feels so like a deep cut of hurt because it's like people sometimes like showrunners seem to recognize this language or then like start putting stuff in there but because most people don't know of this secret language they can just like make fun of us when we're like wow this is so gay like are you gonna make it like canonically gay and they're like oh you're just reading into things so much like they really are just like trying to literally bait us to give them money basically and recognition without risking anything by showing queer people.
1: Well that's queer baiting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is your gender of the day, B?
0: My gender of the day is falling off of a cliff, but you don't feel scared and you're not going super fast. You're it's like in between a float and a fall, and then you land perfectly in a field of lilies, and it's very relaxing, and you take a little nap.
1: I want to be B's gender of the day.
2: That was so eloquent. Oh, my goodness. Thank Poetic. you. Uh-huh. Thanks. What's your
1: gender of the day, Adrian?
2: Well, now I want to go with that, like, type of theme. Um, <laughs> I think mine is running off of a cliff, and then instead okay. of falling... I float away into the clouds. Beautiful.
1: My gender of the day is a red chiffon skirt as I float off the cliff and the air that goes underneath it and the folds of that fabric.
2: Lauren's a costume designer.
1: A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Technically a lighting designer.
2: Yes, both. (laughs) The duality of
0: women. Thank you so much for coming, B. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. I love doing this. That makes me so
1: happy. And uh, where can people find your podcast?
0: Oh, anywhere. Anywhere you can find podcasts. I should have said this earlier because it's a weird name. It's in Astra, spelled I-N space A-S-T-R-A. It means in the stars in Latin. And you can find it on Apple Podcasts, everywhere. I spent like a whole afternoon just like putting it on every website possible. So yeah, please check it out. I hope you like it.
1: And well, find an Astra anywhere where you are currently listening to emotional support Gaze, and we'll catch you in a bit. Later. Bye. Emotional Support Gaze is produced, hosted, and directed by Lauren and Adrian. Editing is done by Lauren Scully, and the artwork is courtesy of Adrian Snyder. The title music for ESG this week was Not Your Call by Brendan McLean, and the closing music was Cis Girls by Dyke Drama. ESG does not own the rights to any of the music utilized throughout the podcast, and thanks the artists kindly for not suing us. This week's interview was B. Piani, writer of An Astra. Stick around for their trailer, and hey, you should check it out while you're at it. You have questions for us? Disagree with something we said? Want to go to space for our next episode? Catch up with us and leave a review wherever you get podcasts and keep tweeting at hashtag ESGpod or follow us on TikTok. It really does help. And as always, be gay, do crime. I
0: literally do not know what I'm doing here. And I don't know what to do. I, I have been trying to stay calm about this, but I don't know. I, I don't know what happened to my roommate or-, or what that explosion was. Hey, I'm back. Oh, uh, are you... It's me, Aiden, your roommate. Yeah, I went back and listened to the recording from tonight, and there were two completely different voices. Look, I'm telling you, there's
1: nothing here. Oh, I believe you. I just gotta give the whole place a rundown, or the boss will have my head.
2: Now spill everything. Me? I have no idea what the hell's
0: going on here. You should be the one spilling. You should really think about what you're doing and anticipate the consequences.
1: Joaquin, the email came from the headmaster herself. It's her job. If she says nothing is wrong, then nothing's wrong.
0: So maybe in the back of my head, I know that Mm. none of this is... Real and I'm just making it up as some screwed-up coping mechanism. This is a drawing I did of Aiden. None of them look like the guy who's saying he's Aiden. Wait, hey, what who, who are you? How do you h- h- how do you know about all of this?
1: You shouldn't be down Get here. Get off of me!
0: Oh god, his his face. I can't remember his face. Oh. <laughs> the starlight
2: is blinding, And yep. I cannot look away
0: in Ostra a sci-fi mystery podcast coming everywhere you can find podcasts saturday september 12th subscribe now for new episodes every week find us on twitter instagram facebook and tumblr at in Ostra podcast and talk about the show using the hashtag in pod
1: see you soon